sitting room of the house, number seven. He was a boy about twelve years old. His name was Marco Loriston, and he was the kind of boy people look at a second time when they have looked at him once. In the first place, he was a very big boy, tall for his years, and with a particularly strong frame. His shoulders were broad and his arms and legs were long and powerful. He was quite used to hearing people say as they glanced at him, What a fine big lad! And then they always looked again at his face. It was not an English face, or an American one, and was very dark in colouring. His features were strong, his black hair grew on his head like a mat, his eyes were large and deep-set, and looked out between thick, straight black lashes. He was as un-English a boy as one could imagine, and an observing person would have been struck at once by a sort of silent look expressed by his whole face, a look which suggested that he was not a boy who talked much. This look was especially noticeable this morning as he stood before the iron railings, The things he was thinking of were of a kind likely to bring to the face of a twelve-year-old boy an unboyish expression. He was thinking of the long, hurried journey he and his father and their old soldier-servant, Lazarus, had made during the last few days, the journey from Russia. Cramped in a close third-class railway carriage, they had dashed across the continent as if something important or terrible were driving them and here they were, settled in London as if they were going to live for ever at number seven Philibert Place. He knew, however, that though they might stay a year, it was just as probable that in the middle of some night his father, or Lazarus, might wake him from his sleep and say, Get up, dress yourself quickly, we must go at once. A few days later he might be in St. Petersburg, Berlin, Vienna, or Budapest, huddled away in some poor little house as shabby and comfortless as Number 7 Philibert Place. He passed his hand over his forehead as he thought of it and watched the buses. His strange life and his close association with his father had made him much older than his years. But he was only a boy, after all, and the mystery of things sometimes weighed heavily upon him and set him to deep wondering. In not one of the many countries he knew had he ever met a boy whose life was in the least like his own. Other boys had homes in which they spent year after year. They went to school regularly and played with other boys and talked openly of the things which happened to them and the journeys they made. When he remained in a place long enough to make a few boyfriends, He knew he must never forget that his whole existence was a sort of secret whose safety depended upon his own silence and discretion. This was because of the promise he had made to his father, and they had been the first thing he remembered. Not that he had ever regretted anything connected with his father. He threw his black head up as he thought of that. None of the other boys had such a father, not one of them. His father was his idol and his chief. 
He had scarcely ever seen him when his clothes had not been poor and shabby. But he had also never seen him when, despite his worn coat and frayed linen, he had not stood out among all others as more distinguished than the most noticeable of them. When he walked down a street, people turned to look at him even oftener than they turned to look at Marco. The boy felt as if it was not merely because he was a big man with a handsome dark face, but because he looked, somehow, as if he had been born to command armies, and as if no one would think of disobeying him. Yet Marco had never seen him command anyone, and they had always been poor and shabbily dressed, and often enough ill-fed. But whether they were in one country or another, and whatsoever dark place they seemed to be hiding in, the few people they saw treated him with a sort of...